that our culture rails against Jesus should not be surprising because there's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved and that is the name of Jesus and it's not like the enemy is like playing nice he's not playing by the rules he doesn't have instant replay he's not like listen we got to make sure we keep the rules and we have the line judges and we have like the if you like football like when a play and it's a contested play goes back to New York and all you know the enemy plays for keeps and he plays dirty the life of a Christian a follower of Christ the prince of peace is ironically a life of conflict. You see it, don't you? The hostility toward the things of God or of godly living. In the church even, there are forces that want to compromise the basic principles of Christianity to fit in better with the world. Pastor Daniel is going to be teaching about the big battle that's behind all of the things that people have to deal with every day and your role in that fight. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, as he begins his message, The Big Battle. You know, there's so many times that I look forward to standing up in this pulpit, and I want to be able just to look out at all of you and say, life is going to be so easy And everything is going to work out. You write down your preferred outcome. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be no bumps in the road. It's just going to be smooth sailing. I would love to be able to come out here and say that. But unfortunately, that's just not reality, is it? One of the things I love so much about the scriptures is the Bible is not concerned as much with telling us what we want to hear. It tells us what we need to hear. And... God's word has a tremendous way of showing us life so that as we move through life with the right information that the Bible gives us, then we can thrive in the midst of all of the challenges of life. Oftentimes, one of our struggles that we have is that when the Bible talks about things, we hear it, but we don't really take it to heart. And one of the things that I've learned as a Bible teacher and as a student of the scriptures, as a follower of Jesus, is that we live in a world that lacks the ability to have nuance to it. We live in a world, it's a soundbite culture, so everybody like, here's the soundbite, taken out of context, and then everybody inserts their own meaning into it. And so if you wanted to make someone look bad, it looks bad. If you wanted to make them look good, it looks good. But so much of life at street level in the real world where we live, there's all these nuances to life. That it's not as simplistic as maybe we hope it would be or our culture wants it to be. And in a lot of ways, being able to embrace the nuances, I think is a very, very biblical reality. Because the Bible gives us all of these different nuances to how we should look at life. We've been studying the book of Revelation, and obviously, if you've been traveling with us, I know maybe not all of you have, but if you've been traveling with us, so much of understanding the book of Revelation is really understanding, hey, where does this all fit together? What do we do with this? What does the whole of the scripture say? What does this passage say? And how are we to look at life because of what this is? 
in the family room in our lobby before the service, I was talking with someone and I said, sometimes I long to be able to preach revelation like it's a seminary class, like we're all getting our advanced degrees in theology. Because there's a certain way you can talk about it then where it's almost more academic. But the thing is, is God isn't interested in academic Christians. He's interested in spirit-filled, fruitful Christians. And sometimes all of the academic ideas actually just obscures what does this mean at street level for how we ought to live. Sometimes we can get bogged down in some of the theological flourishes or ideas and rather than say, where the rubber meets the road, where I am living life today, this is what I need to learn from this so that I can simply respond to Jesus, so that I can walk in the spirit. And I believe that today's message, it has such far-reaching implications for all of us, for the situations we find ourselves in, the state of the world, and really what's going on in our own hearts. I'm so aware that taking this whole chapter in the next 35 minutes is going to be, I'm going to leave so much unsaid, but I'm trusting that the Spirit of God, as you seek the Lord and your own time, that what we're going to see today will be able to help you look at life in the way that God's word wants us to look at life and not just kind of make it through. So open your Bibles today, Revelation chapter 12, a message that I'm calling the big battle. I'm calling this the big battle because what we're going to see today is that there are many battles that are always happening and they happen on different levels But there is one big battle that is always going on, whether you're aware of it or not, but you will be aware of it by the end of today, because it's the battle that rages that is actually the battle behind all the other struggles that we have. So look at what it says. Revelation chapter 12, picking up in verse 1, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor, and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, verse 3. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having ten heads and seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So really what we're going to see here is and the way I want to apply this to our lives is that you always have to remember that the spiritual battle is real. That there is a spiritual battle that is always taking place and that spiritual battle is real and it does press into our natural world. And really, because what we see here is there's these these signs, these these visions. And really, in, in this first section here, we see these three characters. First, there's the woman who is clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and her head, she's got a garland of 12 stars, and then she's with child, and she's in labor, and so she's having a male child. That's the second person. Then, of course, you see this dragon with the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven diadems on his head. With his tail, he takes a third of the stars, and they threw him to the earth. 
And really what you have is the dragon stood before the woman to devour the child. So there's this great image that's going on. And of course, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to put this in context of what this is. So the woman, who is the woman? People would say Mary. Now, Mary was technically Jesus' mother, but most scholars would tell you that the woman was either the church or the nation of Israel. Now, the image of the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, obviously, that's some pretty significant biblical references. Of course, remember uh, Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37 where he talks about how the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to him. And so you have that going on. Now, what's interesting is some scholars say that the woman is the church because they have something that's called replacement theology, where the church becomes the nation of Israel. What's interesting is, is you can't say that the church birthed Jesus because Jesus birthed the church. <laughs> Does this make sense? But what goes on is... To give replacement theology, not maybe uh, justification, but of course the Apostle Paul talks about that not all who are of Israel is Israel. You know, there's spiritual Israel and there's ethnic Israel and you have all these discussions. But by and large, as I do believe in this image that it is talking about the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. Because you see that really what's going on here is that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Does that make sense? Now, because of this, Christians... More recently, you can't even say historically, but since the Roman Empire, I mean, the, the church has an unfortunate history of persecuting the nation of Israel. And really, in the, in the more recent history, the, the Christian community has been more of a proponent of Israel. I always think of uh, Martin Luther, who said, the great reformer, I don't agree with everything he said, he said, sometimes Christians can be like drunk men, they either fall off of one side of the horse or the other side of the horse. Which I thought was a very graphic statement. I'm here to tell you if you're drinking, don't ride a horse. But the idea is that in some ways now what you have is you have almost like the people of God are supportive of Israel. It's always like Israel, whatever they do is perfect, which I think is also an error. But I think what you have to realize is that God's word says that God is going to do something fresh in people who are ethnically Jewish in the last days. The prophet Zechariah says they're going to look upon him whom they pierced and they're going to mourn for him as those who mourn for the, the Messiah, the only begotten son of God. And so there is, again, this kind of subtle balance where as believers, we see that God's got a plan for the nation of Israel, but we also believe that God's got a plan for all nations. He's got a unique plan for the nation of Israel. But I would go so far as say, God's got a unique plan for all nations. So again, how do we kind of land like right in the center of what this is? I believe that this woman is definitely a picture of the nation of Israel. And of course, who's the male child? Jesus, of course. Now we know this because look what it says about the male child. It says that, verse five, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, of course, right there in verse five, you have everything from the, incarnation, the birth of Jesus, all the way to his ascension. You have his whole earthly ministry condensed into one verse. Obviously, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a direct quote from Psalm 2. And then, of course, you realize that dragon, the fire red dragon with the seven heads, the ten horns, the seven diadems, this is who? This is Satan. 
And so because of this, what you realize is that there is a battle, a spiritual battle that's taking place. And it has everything to do with the enemy of your soul who is called Satan, who we're going to see a lot in Revelation 12. So I don't want to overshare now because we get a lot more details about how Satan works. And we want to understand that. But really, the great spiritual battle has everything to do with who Jesus is and what God's plan is for humanity because of the person and work of Jesus. And this is the great spiritual battle that is going on at all times. Now, someone is bound to say, okay, so Fusco, what's the deal with the seven heads, the ten horns, and the seven crowns, the diadems? Now, what's amazing is, is all of this, if you look at the prophecies in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, and then also in the book of Revelation, some people would say the seven heads will be the seven hills on which the Antichrist will reign. There's all these different interpretations. There's these, the 10 horns are these 10 nations who will be part of the confederation of the Antichrist, the 10 toes of the statue of Daniel. There's all these different interpretations. I can literally just go crazy just explaining them all to you and how they all fit together. And a lot of them are plausible. What's really interesting about it. But really what you find, and if you remember, okay, did I lose anybody yet? Because I'm kind of rambling on about Theological minutia, forgive me for that. I'll be right back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> but what is interesting is by the time you get to the end of, of verse 6, we find that the woman is fleeing into the wilderness where she's got a place prepared for her by God for the 1,260 days, which is the 42 months, the times, time, and a half of time that we talked about last message. But what is interesting is for people who interpret the book of Revelation as everything happening back in the day, you realize that after Jesus was crucified, the Romans came in and then the children of Israel were dispersed. And so for people who hold to a only local interpretation of the book of Revelation, everything happened 2,000 years ago, this is one of the chapters that they use. Like, look, this is all right here. That God protected them as they were in their dispersion through the world. Now, I don't only hold to one of the positions. I believe that there's all three of them are at work at all times. But really what you see is that even in the diaspora of the Jewish people, God still protected them. The children of Israel are the only nation who was displaced from their homeland for more than two generations that maintained an ethnic identity. So the fact that they were displaced from their homeland in 70 AD when Titus Vespasian and the Roman legions destroyed Jerusalem and dispersed the people, and they were brought back in the 1940s. It's never happened before in the history of humanity. Once a group of people are displaced from their homeland, within two generations, they lose their ethnic identity almost immediately because of the lack of a homeland and the lack of being able to maintain their culture. And so all of this is kind of baked into the text. Now, if we zoom out from this idea of the spiritual battle that's real, what you have to realize is that there is one battle behind every single battle all of us face, and that is the spiritual battle for your soul and the souls of the people around you. And the only way that those souls can be redeemed is through Jesus. And that is why Jesus is always going to be a contested figure in history. People all the time, they say, oh man, yeah, how can you believe in Jesus? I mean, like, nobody believes in Jesus. I'm like, listen, lots of people believe in Jesus. And the fact that our culture rails against Jesus should not be surprising. 
because there's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. And it's not like the enemy is like playing nice. He's not playing by the rules. He doesn't have instant replay. He's not like, listen, we got to make sure we keep the rules and we have the line judges and we have like the, if you like football, like when a play and it's a contested play goes back to New York and all these. No, the enemy plays for keeps and he plays dirty. And the reality is, is faith in Jesus is always in every generation the most countercultural thing you can do because Satan wants to make sure that nobody believes in Jesus because it's only through faith in Jesus that we are forgiven from our sins, which is a universal human problem. So what you find in your life and in my life is that behind all of our daily struggles, whether they be against our habits or situations that are going on or we have interpersonal problems or all these things, there is a spiritual battle that is happening always. And it's not even that much behind the scenes. It's very much out in the open. And you have to realize that the spiritual battle is not only with people from the outside, but there's also a spiritual battle going on on the inside. I want to let you know, Satan is alive and well, and he comes to church on a Sunday morning. Satan goes to church. Why? Because if he can get people all sideways with each other in church, how often do people, they get frustrated with church, not because they're frustrated with Jesus, but they get frustrated with people. Now, I want to give you a principle. My pastor, John Henry Corcoran, always said it. I quote him every time when he says it. If you're fighting people, you're fighting the wrong battle. It's so true. If you're fighting people, you're fighting the wrong battle. Why? What he's saying is that people are involved in it, but actually the struggle is not with people. The struggle is with the spirit that is behind people. And that's why the spiritual battle is real. And that's why the apostle Paul tells us Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 13. This is what he says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. See, it's saying that for the child of God, you have to realize that you are in a spiritual battle. And in order to not just compete, but walk victoriously in the midst of a spiritual battle that is always raging, you need to get armored up. You need to put on the armor of God. Now, we're going to talk more about the battle that we're in and how it all works, but my first question to you is, is what does it look like for you to put on the armor of God? As you move through the world. Now, I love this. So I'm teaching this message. It's the fall, which means I'm driving my little Annabelle to school. Now, Annabelle's in second grade. And Annabelle's so fun. But one of the things I've always done with my kids, if you've been around here for a while, I talk about this. When I drive my kids to school, we always put on the armor of God together. It's like a fun thing that we do in the car. And so we get on in. And, and so I'm going to do it with you guys. You guys are my kids. We're brothers and sisters. But we're going to put on the armor of God. So everyone shake your arms out for a second. Go ahead. Go ahead, shake it. I don't want anyone to pull a muscle here at Crossroads. Go ahead. Okay. If you worked out this morning, you're extra cool. Okay. Ready? I'll teach it to you. And then listen, I don't only do it for my little Annabelle. I do it for myself. So what we do is we put on the helmet of salvation. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the belt of truth. You have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. You have the shield of faith. And then you have the 
sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is pretty fun, right? Now, because I'm a fun dad, we actually added to the armor of God. And this has happened over years. So I'm going to teach you like the Fusco addendum. It's not biblical, but it makes it fun for my kids. So we're going to do them all again, but I'm going to teach you some new pieces, okay? So everyone ready? Okay. So we put on the helmet of salvation. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We put on the belt of truth. We put on the cup of protection. That was from Obadiah, my son, when he was like eight years old. Pretty good, right? So we put the cup of protection. You need protection. You put on the trousers of it. Everyone shake your trousers. The trousers of joy. Yeah, it's a good one. You put on the pocket of prayer. Oh, you see what we got. Then we got our feet shod with the gospel of peace. We do the shield of Faith. Now hit someone with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You hit them. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this goes on in my car every morning. We drive on it. And then we edit with a go Jesus, which is super fun. Then we pray. But listen, you need the helmet of salvation because you need your standing in Christ's salvation to guard your thought life. You need the breastplate of righteousness because the breastplate covered all of your most vital organs and you need the righteousness of Jesus to cover your heart and your soul. You need that belt of truth and the Roman gear, the belt held everything together. Kind of like gear for us today too, right? You guys, if you don't wear those belts and suspenders, they hit the ankles, it's awkward. You know what I mean? So you need God's truth to hold it together. You want your feet With the gospel of peace, why everywhere you walk, you're a peacemaker because Jesus made peace for us with God. And you can't be a peacemaker until you receive the peace of God. So we, everywhere we go, believers should be peacemakers. We put on that shield of faith. I love that. Why? The Apostle Paul says, so that we might be able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. See, believing and trusting in Jesus is what protects you. Because the enemy knows your vulnerabilities. For some of us, it's because we're proud and arrogant. For others of us, it's always thinking we've got everything wrong. And you put that shield of faith and you're saying, listen, I'm a lot of things. I have a lot of flaws. I have a lot of issues. But Jesus has saved me. That I'm complete in Christ. You use that shield of faith. And then the only weapon of our warfare is the word of God. And it's not meant to be a violent weapon. The idea here is the word of God is we fight against all the lies of the enemy with the word of God. And I want you to realize that every single day, if you're not prepared for the battle, you're going to get beat up in the battle. I tell people this all the time, that what I'm constantly learning is that my ability to live the life of an overcomer, your ability, it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done. But it also has everything to do with how you learn to recover from all the nicks you take on in the battle. Jesus is real. People who say that the Bible is a dry, boring book clearly haven't read Revelation. Pastor Daniel shared about pregnant women being chased by dragons with multiple heads. The imagery is very vivid. 
And somewhere in the middle of all this, God's bringing his final judgment on the entire planet. Hopefully, in the midst of the things going on, you were reminded and inspired that God has everything, including you, under control. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more from the 12th chapter of Revelation in his teaching, The Big Battle. He'll continue speaking about the woman and the dragon and who or what they symbolize. Pastor Daniel will be talking about the importance of remaining attentive to the spiritual world. He will be showing you how that unseen world affects you, what the Bible says about your place in it. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, A Year of Revelation. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.